0: Hello and welcome to episode 149 of NCP. My name is David, and we'll be been... <laughs> What? I don't know, I just looked at you and you're so cute. <laughs> we have Crystal. Hello. And Bo. Hey,
1: how's it going?
0: <laughs> it's going good. And we also have a yeah. special guest today. G'day, Peter. Thanks for letting me join in. Oh, I always happy to have you on, Pete. Oh, I'm happy to be here. How's that? <laughs> Our regular listeners will know that uh, Pete, from uh, my many ramblings of uh, my previous podcasting home, Black Panel, uh, he was uh, one of the, the main crew from the Black Panel. In fact, we shared a couch. We did. It was always you and me together. We never held hands, but we were united. <laughs> In fact, I feel weird that I'm now sitting across from you. I don't like it. But the eye contact is amazing. yeah. I know. <laughs> as handsome as ever. So, uh, Pete, or otherwise known as Pete the Heat, has uh, very very graciously joined us today, and uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, dude. So, oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank it's gonna, you. It's going to be awesome. Let's uh, let's rip it up. <laughs> uh, for this episode, we have news, re- a couple of reviews, round four of Clash of Champions season three. It's a bit of a mouthful. I might find a bit better way to say that. <laughs> uh, which is uh, Gambit versus Snake Eyes, and what a very interesting online reaction. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that when we get to the <laughs> Um And. Uh, Following on from episode 147, where we did our top five bands, uh, where this time we're going to have our top five songs. And uh, I'm very intrigued to hear Pete and Bose.
2: Um, I don't think you realised how hard this was going to be.
0: Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's funny, I'm, I'm probably the less. The least musical person on the crew, <laughs> <laughs> so mine are shockers. So all this is the fish out of water episode. It is. So <laughs> uh, very interested to see because uh, Pete and Bo are both you know like professional musicians. So. and I
2: must be musical because I've got yeah. hundreds of CDs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Crystal's
0: like very, very big in in, in her music. So uh, uh, mine's we'll just I'll do mine as quickly as possible and get to the get to the main crew. But uh, yeah, so it's a huge episode for us now. Uh, of course being an odd episode where we should have Azerothian times on here, but we've got too much other stuff to do, so uh, there's no Azerothian times this episode, sorry, sorry Bo
1: I'm outraged
0: sorry, <laughs> I'm outraged uh, <laughs> but that segues directly into the news, so uh, uh, WoW patch 6.2 Fury of Hellfire uh, is now live um, and actually already needed a hotfix, which is typical I mean Blizzard, millions and millions of dollars, <laughs> and yet they still can't get this right, it's ridiculous uh, but uh, So we'll talk So we'll talk about um, Patch 6.2 on the next episode with Boris So episode 151 will do quite a substantial Azerothian times. Uh, the other uh, quick bit of news is we're uh, just a, a rest in peace to, to Patrick McNee, who uh, passed away a couple of days ago at uh, 93 years old. Uh, uh, the majority of listeners would know him from The Avengers. And when I say The Avengers, I mean the original British 60s TV show, The Which Avengers. we
2: actually talked about last week, was it?
0: Well, we actually, we mentioned it because Patrick McNee and uh, Christopher Lee, who we talked about last episode, worked together as uh, Sherlock Holmes and We should uh, stop mentioning
2: Watson. people on this podcast, really. I
0: don't, it's, it's, not, it's all our fault. Uh, but anyway, I mean, Patrick McNee Patrick was, uh, was a, a true gentleman, and the Avengers is awesome, and uh, it's a shame, but uh, he has passed on. Um, and the other wrestling piece is James Horner. Um, who also passed away uh, tragically in a plane crash. Uh, so James Horner, a um, composer, uh, probably best known for the for Titanic, yeah, but he also did okay. um, Yeah, *Star Trek 2 Wrath of Khan*, which is absolutely brilliant, um, and uh, the other things like *Avatar* and and various other stuff so well, i'm thinking aliens as well that's what and, it is and aliens yes no, i really like that soundtrack yeah though. yeah so i've well i've actually i haven't got a lot of soundtracks on uh, my itunes list but i've got both aliens and soundtrack too <laughs> so yeah cool let's uh, let's move on with the show with uh, our reviews uh, our special guest is going to be review number one cheers look um it's, it's high pressure doing a review <laughs> and uh, certainly from the point of view
3: i had to be about comics i think because uh i love reading comics and it's a Big part of where I engage with storytelling. And I had a situation recently where somebody worked, an uh, English teacher, I'm a teacher and an English teacher, she lent me a book. And it was uh, Road to the Deep North or Narrow Road to the Deep North by Richard Flanning. And it was an amazing book and you know, patched an emotional wallop and had a lot there. And then I'm like, what do I lend back? And it was, well, I want to do comics because I always try to get people around to read comics because then you can have a conversation about it. Hmm. And I was thinking, what would be a comic that would be accessible for somebody? You know, an older person, she's she's not interested in superheroes, she's not want, not wanting to read something about violence or confrontation, and I was looking through my collection, what's something that's not too dense that you could read in a session, and I came up with um, a book that came out a few years ago, it's Asterius Polyp by David Mazzucchelli, and we would know him from his superhero work in the 80s, particularly with Frank Miller doing um, Batman uh, Year One, and then doing Born Again on Daredevil, and th- these are seminal works, these are works that really changed superhero comics, and gave it a level of maturity and from my point of view as a comic fan he kind of disappeared and i hadn't seen him do a lot of work and i wasn't it wasn't something you'd see in comic stores that he was doing newer things and i knew he brought out a series called uh, rubber blankets that i could never find in comic book stores mm. and then uh i saw this on shelf as a, as a hardcover he's put out a story and it's a uh, it's it's totally amazing and having read it and realized this is such an accessible book i, I lent it to her as something to read and she's was stunned with it and Read it a couple of times, and is now at the stage where she would say she would give it as a gift, because it's uh, wow. such an accessible and such a, a moving book. And I suppose as my review today, I'd like to explain why this is such a good story that's so simply told, and it could only be told in comics. It's 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 totally comics, and that's what makes it cool.
0: Can I, Can I just ask this? I mean, I'm not I totally agree with your choice for to, to lend now, Can I ask why you didn't go with Mouse?
3: I yeah. Look, that that's actually because I've bought Mouse for our comic for our library we have some comics in the library and mouse is one of those and I can't get people to read it and I was trying to think of why, because the themes are big. It's it's, it's one a recognised mainstream award, yeah. uh, but people won't read it. And I think when they open it up, it, it's a very dense read, yeah. and it doesn't look very attractive to read. Right. Asterius Polyp has this amazing design. It's got some Art Deco style in yeah, there. It's yeah. colourful and it's, it, it looks more inviting to read, and it doesn't seem depressive. Gotcha. like for our, for our comic book library, we were thinking of ways to get boys at the school to read in particular. And we've we got you know Saga Yojimbo and Bone, but the biggest hit of all, and I was surprised. I let me put in there is Walking Dead, and Walking Dead's <laughs> Become a bit of a rite of passage with kids at the school when they're old enough to start borrowing it, and it every time a new volume comes in, it's booked for months. And even parents are reading it and that kind of stuff. It's been a, a massive hit, so I have been trying to get comics going in our in our school community. And it's funny that that one would be the one that got through. I'm superheroes not so much. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah superheroes not really. And it's trying to get yeah. across the point, though. There's less words in comics. There's still deep stories and strong storytelling, so that's been a lot of fun. Are, are,
0: did you get any girl sort of? Sort of yeah well that was, that was Bone stuff, Bone, or, yeah. Bone
3: was the one that, that did that and uh, since they the librarian gets a lot the girls will read a lot of uh, the um, manga kind of stuff so they tend to get on series okay. like Vampire Night and all that kind of yeah. stuff and, that, and that's been very popular with the girls cool well done yeah that's, that's what that's, I thought so yes. bit by bit that's a, give them the gateway drug and then you've hooked them for life that's, that's it, it. <laughs> awesome so I suppose if I give a bit of context for this one, a, it, it was meant to be the fourth issue of a comic book series, and I think the story grew in the telling, and then he's taken it away for years, and then come out with what really reads like a passion project, and it's, it's a character study, it's not something with a really strong plot, it's about this man, Asterios he's, he's he's got this Greek-Italian heritage, and he's an architect, and he's a man of ideas, and he loves to be one of those people who, he you listen to his ideas, and he wants his ideas to be taken on board, and people didn't think deep thoughts, and he likes to be noticed when he gives these ideas off. He's a man of academia, but all of his designs and his architecture things, which have won lots of awards, nothing's ever been built. He's a man on paper, kind of the idea. And at at the start of the book, we meet him and we see him being pompous, and his apartment where he lives alone is hit by lightning and everything burns. And you've got these panels of all his life's work, all archived way it goes. And uh, he has to reinvent his his life because he's lost everything that he had, this man on paper. And it's a character study as he goes off and he does that great American thing, gets on a Greyhound bus and goes off to reinvent himself. Yep. And perhaps a little bit like The Straight Story by David Lynch, that awesome film, it's the people he meets and the way they open him up, this this, this man of very rigid structures. And he meets all the people he meets are very flawed and very individual, and they help him realise uh, the flaws within himself. And as the story's being told, as he meets these people and he's put in situations, you revisit earlier periods of his life and his relationships with women and how he handled friends and you really see this this character open up. And what is so thoroughly beguiling about this one, it's, it's beautifully told, very simply told. And I read the whole book with a smile on my face, which is such a rare thing. I was achy cheeks. <laughs> and I realized that I've been smiling this whole time because it's, it's so beautifully told. And only in comics, because every character has their own style of lettering. He's... Got boxes that he's in, and he's all in capitals. Other characters he meets are lower case and more organic, and all of the characters, their personalities, informed by the colours that are chosen and the the way that they're drawn. So that that really to teach somebody about how to read comics, how to follow the page, and how to get the visual stimulus as well as the words, Asterius Polyp just just works on so many levels. But if you're a comic reader, you'll notice these things. But I think for most people, it's, it's kind of invisible and just. They might not realize how much information you're being given on the page, even though the page isn't busy. It just flows so smoothly. Mm. And and that classic thing where it's being told in a graphic novel format, he's not having to do a story beat every 22 pages or so, whatever, if it was serialized first. It can flow at its own pace. And the, the pages aren't busy. Uh, he slows you down. He has different design on the pages. And it's just an absolute masterwork of comics language, but to tell a story about a man realizing that uh, it's the relationships you have with other people that matter not necessarily having to be impressive it's it's embracing flaws in people in you know, a in a really good way and i think that's a, that's why this was such an emotional read for comics and and for me why i chose this one because it's it's one i want to hand on to other people and sort of say what do you think this this guy who we know for superhero comics and was amazing in that is doing these personal stories that i was absolutely stunned this is a 10 out of 10 you know a plus read for me i i'm proud to have this book in my on my shelf to the point where i want to hand a reading copy around other people so they can get into it too that's a that, that's my big thing with this one and I I think really as you as we read comics all the time I think st- superhero stuff dominates so much yeah. but there's this wonderful um, array of people doing their own stories and it's being picked up by mainstream publishers and these things are being put into bookshops yeah. and I think you know as much as um, the superhero stuff with Marvel and that makes them the movies and gets people interested in comics these things are actually finding an audience beyond sort of the fanboy kind of stuff too. So it's a it's a whole big area of comics that uh, I think uh, we better not forget about and get on board with because there's some really rich storytelling and very clever, very clever cartooning being done as well, which I'm totally over. I mean, it won, it won a lot of Eisner's the year it came out. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know uh, how many sort of regular comic readers would have thought to give somebody who's given superhero comics, comics so much uh, come back telling a more personal tale that you know has to be read. It's It's brilliant, brilliant work.
0: It is absolutely awesome. It's uh, a, a great choice, and um, it is—it is. It is it's, I think it's almost the perfect graphic novel.
3: Yeah, and yeah. it's—it's not—it's not a heavy read. You'll read it in yeah. two or three hours at most, very leisurely as well. So it's a—it's a one sitting book, which I really like too. Yeah,
0: has your edition got the? dust jacket yeah it's shorter than the book itself that's right it's it's
3: the even the oh you got it here yeah even the design of the book itself the the art deco stylings the it's a very attractive package and it looks different to it looks like a regular hardcover but there's raw cardboard with stamp in it and the the dust dust jacket's different so it reminds me a lot of the the cartoons you'd see in something like a punch magazine or something it's got that old-fashioned style but with a really um just a modern relaxed Smart storytelling in comics. Huh? I
0: first saw this on the shelf at Minotaur, the very first time I ever yeah. saw it, for, uh, which wasn't a download version. Um, so it, was, uh, it was on the shelf. and I actually had a side on it. To say, this book is not damaged. This is how it is <laughs> <laughs> it's meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really like... Um, I was like, oh, it's, it's amazing. got to go through it.
3: <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called Chris Ware who's famous for doing Ac- Acme Novelty Library, and he is a design guru and his latest one uh, is called Building Stories where it's a, it's a box and you open up this giant box and it's full of stories of all the people that live in this apartment building but every story is done in a different format mm. so there's sheets of paper there's pamphlets there's giant hardcovers there's Voldat things and it's uh, just this idea of design and comics I think is a good way to get people who wouldn't normally read comics but love sort of good design and, and the visual storytelling a way in I think that superheroes
0: sometimes doesn't do yeah exactly awesome no worries. Great review. Very yeah, so, really well done. Thank you, thank you. All right, Sorry, cool. I talk a bit were, Have you seen Jurassic World?
1: No, I haven't seen it yet. <sighs>
0: All right, let's see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's
1: like the I, fifth... I know how. I mean, I'm pretty sure I know how it ends, though, just from what I've seen in the trailer.
0: Oh, do you want me to tell you how it ends? <laughs>
1: I mean, uh, let me guess, and you tell me how close I am. I'm just pretty good at predicting these kind of things. Right. <laughs> I think that Chris Pratt has uh, been training these raptors, and he's got like a connection with the raptors, but Jurassic Park always illustrates the whole like, uh, oh, but they're wild animals and you can't control them kind of thing, so the the raptors will probably um, ditch him and turn on him, um, but and it could go one of two ways, so it'll either it'll either stay that way, but they're not the main bad guy, so I don't think it's gonna stick to that, and I think that um, somehow or another they're gonna Come
2: back
0: to, help and Chris Pratt. Well, okay, all right. Well, I don't want to ruin it for the other two people in the room who actually also haven't seen it, but that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: could, I could tell by of of the look on your face that he got. I've known most of investment of
0: that in the
1: Okay.
0: Well, since since, since, since nobody else here cares. No, that's that's exactly what happened.
1: You
3: like the the film Nostradamus? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no. I swear to God, this is no joke. I, me and Becca saw um the Prestige. Yeah. I'd never seen The Prestige before Me and Becca Were watching it On the cruise ship I downloaded it onto my laptop So that I'd have Something to watch While we were there And the first In the first part Of the movie Where they're Explaining the parts To the magic trick And then um, And then the, the The guy that plays Alfred shows That there's two birds And that's how The trick works Yeah, I told Becca I said oh Somebody's a twin and then, whenever they were trying to figure out how they did the trick in the middle of the movie, I was like, "Yeah, the dude's a twin." <laughs> that was the twist at the end.
0: <laughs> well, the twist at the end I'm is just, the
3: clones. <laughs> just if I ever watch a movie with you, don't talk out loud. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, anyway, all right, here
1: we go. I'm just really good at knowing how they put it together. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. really good at thinking. Like, well I bet they were thinking that this should draw to the end. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm yeah. gonna put in that part together. <laughs>
2: that's that's Bo's very mild superpower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, well that's uh that was uh obviously I should have put a poor spoiler alert <laughs> at the start of that, but oh, well, Anyway, so that well that's not the that's not the entire ending, but yeah, come on. It, it's pretty obvious. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I was, I was, as you can gather from that uh, conversation, my review is next, and I am doing Jurassic World. Um, nobody else here has seen it, so <laughs> we'll see how it goes. See how engaging it is. Um, Jurassic World is uh, a, a, is a sequel to uh, Jurassic Park, and uh, it essentially ignores two and three, which is good because two and three suck. <laughs> um, the it's it's set twenty years after the events of Jurassic Park, so, and it does. Uh, it references the first film a lot. So if you haven't seen the first film and you want to go see this film, don't worry. It doesn't matter because they tell you the entire plot of the first film within dialogue within the first 15 minutes of this film. Well, so. so is that like the start of Evil Dead 2
3: where they just give you Evil Dead
0: 1 right at the start? Yeah. That's yeah. so <laughs> essentially, it's essentially what it is. Yeah, Basically what it is is one of the guys, after you've done, after you've done the obligatory scenes with the kids, uh, one of the guys that works at Jurassic World is wearing a Jurassic Park t-shirt yep. and Claire is like, Claire who's in charge of the park essentially, is like you yeah, know, that's a bit of, that's, bad, that's a bad taste <laughs> you know what I mean, that's in poor taste and the guy sort of defends it and then sort of explains the park <laughs> and then and then throughout the film it basically just, it, uh, they, well actually about three quarters of the way the film the kids uh, stumble across the main building from Jurassic oh, yeah. Park, you know, with a this, the end sequence of Draco Pass occurs, and so basically the whole plot. Not
3: having it. seen it. that makes sense to me because a lot of your target audience for this film wouldn't have been alive when the first film came out. So yeah. that's
0: exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's twenty years in real time. And also 20 years in terms of movie time.
3: That's like a twist the Beau would have seen uh, coming. The... It's a
0: ba- <laughs> It He's really good. Uh, so, so, you know, so it works. So anyway, so it's 20 years later. Um, Jurassic Park has now uh, become Jurassic World. Uh, it is uh, sort of a sea world sort of style uh, adventure park. Um, it's. It's uh, hugely successful, but it's now since it's now been twenty years, uh, people are starting to get bored with dinosaurs, which I just find crazy. <laughs> is, and, uh, <laughs> and so they they decide to um, genetically create a dinosaur. So instead of just modifications, um, I think this film actually finally addresses the eternal question of why do the dinosaurs not have feathers? Um, and so it's it's basically because. The general populace don't realize that dinosaurs have feathers, and so they've modified the dinosaurs to be c- cooler, for but for want of a better word. Um, so anyway, but that's not working anymore. People are tired of that sort of stuff. The T-Rex that's in this film is the actual T-Rex from the first film. She's twenty years older, you know, she's tired, and so they decide to create actually create a, a, a dinosaur uh, called the the Indominus Rex, um, and uh, they use a whole bunch of different gene- genetic material, but its its basic genome is the T-Rex, so it's. It's basically a, a... Without giving anything... Oh, well, I guess this is a spoiler alert. Um, I guess, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious, but it is, it is a spoiler alert because uh, it's meant to be a mystery in the film, but it is actually essentially a cross between a T-Rex and the raptors. I think that's in the trailer, but I would assume Is it in fine. the trailer? I thought... I, well, I had that, I had that impression. Oh, okay. Is that's it, right. Yeah. Is it, it's because the, there's the scene. I mean, because like because Bo, Bo is completely correct when he says that you know as Chris Pratt he's, he's got this bond with the, with the Raptors and and of course you also see that scene where they're, they're going through the jungle and he's on yeah, a motorcycle. It, is. it yeah. is the best the best shot yeah. in the film. Is, is, <laughs> is, is the Raptors are really look magnificent? And the whole film can be summed up in that one scene. It's like oh that's cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's well that's the scene where. The mystery is revealed of what exactly uh, is made, this, this dinosaur is made up of is because of, of that scene.
3: And I assume because they have made this dinosaur, that then everything's fine.
0: <laughs> Everything <grows laughs> well, in yeah, the film, the film only goes for five <laughs> bits. <laughs> 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 so, no, so, yeah, so they've made this dinosaur, and it's, and it's, it's, you know, it's cool because it's big, it's fast, it has special, special powers, um, and uh, it's, you know, it's got more teeth, I think, is is, is because, you know, we want more teeth. Um, But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so, and, uh, so, but uh, on the flip side, on the other side of the island, um, the InGen is actually now also looking at using the raptors and, you know, various other uh, dinosaurs as uh, weapons. Uh, They want to actually put them in the field, uh, which is why Chris Pratt's character, Owen, is there to, uh, you know, see if the dinosaurs can be trained and actually taken into a war zone. Um, I think this film proves Beyond a doubt that that can't happen, <laughs> but that's that's the general idea. So they do have some successes. So you have got yeah, Chris Pratt's very clearly meant to be a sort of Indiana Jones type character, Owen. Ah. Um, he's also he's kind of a cross between Indiana Jones and Michael Douglas's character from *Romancing the Stone*. And I'll I'll get back to that in a it's, second.
2: <laughs> it's a weird concept to want to take dinosaurs into battle. I mean, no one's ever suggested let's take lions into battle or something like that, modern day yeah. anyway. That's just Kind
0: that of crazy. is so right. You're so that's, I never didn't even yeah. occur to me during my multiple viewings of this film. You're let's change so right.
2: the sharks for the Navy Seals. And
0: well, the the idea of deep blue sea, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> Weaponizing sharks <laughs> has been thought of. Yeah. They've actually weaponized dolphins. Yeah. So, you know. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, so they've got that big that big grand plan and and, and um uh one of the guys um these you know, we really pushing for it but Owen Owen's car uh Chris Pratt's character Owen is, you know, really sort of against it because, you know, they're they're animals and they can't. Even though he has a bond with them, they still, they'd still be perfectly willing to kill him if the situation (laughs) arose. Um, So he's, uh, so anyway. um, But yeah, as uh, Pete said, um, the Indominus Rex uh, things go wrong. (laughs) Obviously, otherwise there wouldn't be a film. Uh, So the Indominus Rex gets out of its cage and uh, mayhem uh, ensues. Of course, you have the obligatory uh, kid. The characters—they um, are Claire's uh, nephews, um, Gray, and I have no idea what his brother's name is because who cares? Creep, <laughs> creepy kid, they should call him because that's all he <laughs> is. I oh, he well, hes basically one of it. So he's, he's one of the kids is a is a, t- a teenager, and he basically just spends the entire film just perving at girls, like teenage girls, which is fine because he's a teenager, but. He just does it in this really weird stalkerized type way. It's bizarre. Um, and uh, his younger brother is Gray, who is the kid from um, Iron Man Three. <laughs> it, uh, it is like the, it is the sort of the genius emotional one of the two. Um, and uh, of course, they get me- you know mixed up in the in the mayhem uh, once it, once Indominus Rex gets out. Uh, so the uh, the whole problem is that even though Indominus Rex, they were smart enough to have Indominus's. Um, pen at the far north of the island which and the the resort is at the far south of the island um the, the the mayhem is essentially trying to stop indominus before it gets to the actual resort where all the people are and the kids get caught up in that but of course they don't die because it's Jurassic World. <laughs> uh so I just so that's that's essentially it that's essentially the film it is it's made a crap load of money um it's a huge success there will be another one uh, it's directed by um, the director of uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, which was a weird choice uh, when I first heard it. But he does a fine, he does a perfectly fine job. It, it he does you know everything he's meant to do. Um, the main reason that's I wanted to, I wanted movie. sorry.
1: So that's an unusual movie. Safety is not
0: guaranteed actually yeah i like i like it, I like it a lot safety not guaranteed yeah so. I
1: like it too yeah. It's
0: it's weird yeah it is it is weird um so the reason i wanted the reason I wanted to review it is uh, i mean it's 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 a standard jurassic park film so and I, I mean it's but the reason I wanted to review it is because it's gotten a lot of controversy um and so I just wanted to sort of touch on on some of that because i'm kind of tired of this whole you know, everything generates controversy. There's controversy for everything. That's a controversial comment, you know. And yeah, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just wanted—I so wanted to sort of address some of it. Um, and sort of, it 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 uh, sort of get some people's opinions. Well, I actually on
2: it. haven't heard any of the Jurassic Park controversy. So, oh, okay, cool. Right. Yeah. Well, the main—the main—the main, the main, the main uh,
0: thing against it is that uh, the portrayal of Claire, uh, who is uh, what's her name, Bruce Dallas Bryce, Dallas Bruce Dallas Bryce. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs>
2: actually I I, I I take that back. We have we actually haven't talked about some of this.
0: Yeah. I, I can't remember her name off the top which is a disgrace. Dallas Bryce Howard, is it the Dallas name? Bryce Howard? Yeah, there you go. Cool. <laughs> Gwen Stacy, that's all That's that's, <laughs> that's who I know her as. And um, that
3: thing in the pool. In uh Lady
0: in the Water or something. Is she the girl from Lady in the Water? Is she the so mermaid? I, I is she think a watery so. tart. <laughs> a, watering through a sword at you.
1: i've, <laughs> a I've pretty- never seen i've never seen that movie do you want me to try to guess how it ends no well I've, i just told you how it ends
3: m um, night Shyamalan just makes terrible films again and again and again that's how it
0: ends <laughs> he's made one good film <laughs> um, oh some people argue also for unbreakable but that's that's I don't know. anyway anyway let's move let's, let's move it on anyway so um what's the name
1: Dallas, Dallas, Bronx, Dallas yes.
0: So plays Claire, and so the controversy is uh, is the betrayal of Claire. Um, so basically, Claire is is all business. So she's all about being. She's a businesswoman. She's in charge of Jurassic World for crying out loud! So the biggest theme park in the world. Ah, so because a so. woman's running it, it goes wrong, is it? No, no. no. <laughs> Funnily enough, no. That's not what it is. It's not her fault that it all that everything goes to crap. In okay. fact, if anything, it's the guard. Actually, that brings up a really good point. The guard that's at in the the hut. The, sort of the control station for Indominus Rex's pen, it's all his fault. Right? Okay. It's clearly all his fault. Because minimum Rex, wage know Yeah, minimum wage, yeah. In order to get out, Indominus actually pretends that she's already out. Like she's actually, she scratches up the wall and then hides, and Then knowing that they'll then think that she's actually managed to climb out of the pen. And so then Ooh. when they go in to investigate, she's like, Aha! Fool, you suckers! And she doesn't... i just just... Disclaimer, Sorry, she just doesn't actually... Pack. Clever girl. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Nice. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. So, just (laughs) disclaimer: she doesn't actually talk. Uh, But anyway. So, um, and yeah. So, because now the gate's open, out she goes and she's like, ah. Spoiler alert.
2: Well, no, no, that's not really. And she does sound a lot like Deadpool. (laughs) <laughs> why does pretty
0: why does she sound dinosaur. like
1: this? That? Mean,
0: that's pretty pretty good. Yeah, it's well she's she's incredibly smart, which is the main problem. She's so smart. I, is, if she right. was in the Shawshank Redemption, it could have been quite a different film. That's... <laughs> <laughs> You're hilarious. Um, anyway, um, so anyway, so Claire she's all business. Um, and the the reason that the kids are actually even there is because they're her nephews, and uh, their their parents are, might be getting a divorce, and so they send the kids off so they can have some sort of time to sort of work some things out. And and Claire hasn't seen them for years since they were little, really little. And the whole point is that she they go to the park and then she then spends some family time with them, taking them around the park and stuff. She doesn't. She fobs them off to her assistant Zara, um, and uh, you know she goes about her business and stuff. Not in a horrible mean way. She's not a mean person. She's she's lovely. But she's she's you know she's focused. Yeah, she's focused. She's career focused, and that seems to be a bit of a problem because it's actually it's actually pointed out within the film itself that itself is not a problem, right? But it's pointed out within the film itself about how she's a bad person for wanting that. Like, there's a there's a really bizarre line, a sort of, se- a sort of sequence of dialogue where the mother of uh, the kids calls her up to tell her off and not spend any time with them, and she's like, "Well, you know, what can I do? I'm busy," you know, and and so the mother gets really upset, and uh, and she says, "You know, you'll you'll understand." Oh, she uses uses a mum line on her. She's like, "Oh, you're using mum's lines," and, she, and 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 she's like, "You'll understand when you when you have children." Oh. Um, and and Claire says, "If I have children," and she said, and the, the, the other and the sister says, "No, when," right? And it's quite, it's really it really is uh, like quite obvious, mm. and and. and so a film about dinosaurs that could,
3: we shouldn't be meddling in that and playing God stops to moralise about parenthood. Exactly. It has this
0: weird moral sort of objection to women in business. Right. And, and when I first heard, it, when I first heard, heard, heard this backlash, because I first read it on the Mary Sue website. Now, I don't know why I go to that website because I, ha- <laughs> I hate it, right? I, just, I, just, I disagree with 99% of the things that But they you enjoy hating it. it. Yeah, but for some reason I keep going yeah. back. It's, it's weird. Sorry?
1: I go to that website all the time. I, right. I actually get a lot of show notes from the
0: Mary Sue. So oh, there you know go. You See, um, Yeah, so do. I so and they're the ones that sort of brought it to my attention before I actually even even saw the film. And so, and and I hate to say it, but I actually I, I do actually have to I have to agree. I mean, it's so obvious. Yeah. you know what I mean. So, um, so there's so there's that thing. And of course, there's, there's got there's, there's other things throughout the film where about where she's you know she finally. Like she sees a dying dinosaur, and and so that suddenly somehow triggers some sort of maternal instinct there, and she's mm. got to protect the kids, and <laughs> it's really really it's, strange.
2: It's funny, because I get a lot of that all the time, and it's always from women. Yeah, and, and yeah. Like just, I'm 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 i 41 year old woman who doesn't have any children, and it's always oh, am you know when are you going to start a family? I'm not going to. Well, yeah, you'll you'll change your mind. You'll feel differently. No. <laughs> Um <laughs> how does that make you feel? And it, and it, and it, and it makes you, and it, you they look at you like there's something wrong with you like the, yeah. uh, you, you, you're not quite a fully formed person until you've actually squeezed a child out. <laughs> <laughs> squeezed a child Well that's not how you do it, but it <laughs> Well it is, there's a lot of
0: squeezing
2: And how can you have a happy fulfilled life if you haven't got the, a, a, a child and it's like well no one says that to a man. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, uh-huh. and, and I
2: find it quite amazing that it, it, it always comes from women.
0: Well, there you go. Um, so, uh, cool, that's that. Um, so, that's that. Um, and there's also, the, and the other big controversy is, of course, um, that the film is sexist. Uh, now, it's sexist because of not only of the, because it's written and directed by men, and so that, patro- that sort of uh, sort of moralistic you know, anti-Claire childhood thing, um, children thing, Um, but also because of just, of just generally just the relationship between Claire and everybody else in the film. Like her, her staff, like the guy with the t-shirt and stuff, don't really show all that much, all that much respect. Um, But I actually thought more of it, I saw it more of a sort of a, can that be yeah. a reflection of how a lot of workplaces are? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's. I think it was more it was just they just known each other for so long that they can actually now can actually mm. sort of joke around. But I do kind of see the point. Um, but also, but mainly because of Owen. So you've got so, like I said before, you've got Owen. He's, a, he's essentially a cross between Indiana Jones and and Michael Douglas's character from *Romancing the Stone*, who was essentially just a ripoff in Indiana Jones anyway. But <laughs> um, but it has sort of more sort of that sort of temperament. And so so you got so Chris Pratt is a good looking man he's you know he's got the, the the cool Indiana Jones type sort of clothes on sort of like you know the jungle sort of attire um and he's got he's got this you know this macho sort of attitude this macho can do action star type attitude, which I find really weird because Owen essentially does nothing in this film he does there's nothing there's no point in any plots that hinges on him doing anything he doesn't save the day in fact, Claire has to save him. Right, so he actually gets attacked in what is, what is the best sequence of the film, was when the, ter- uh, the Pterodons, um, which, which, you know, that word starts with a P, so it's a bit weird. But uh, yeah, so the flying dinosaurs, <laughs> essentially, um, attack uh, the people that have actually all sort of congregated in the southern part of the island. It's an absolutely brilliant sequence. And uh, um, he gets attacked by one and is you know, in a lot, of, a lot of trouble. And Claire saves him. What is it what's what's really irksome about that scene is because Claire saves him and then the boys who witnessed this event still think Owen is some sort of macho man and it's and they even actually say we want we want to go with him make sure he's with us at all times but all they've seen is him do nothing and Claire saved the day it's weird it doesn't it make sense sounds like the new mad Max film Yeah was sort of the rescue well, That's well, that's kind of that's kind of the thing uh, I think that that's why I think this film's gotten so much backlash is because a couple of weeks earlier, you had the awesome Fury Road, which mm. showed just how just how well female action people can be. You know what I mean? I mean Furiosa Furious is, is an excellent character. I mean she's she's essentially she's a force on screen. Yeah, she's the Ripley of our day. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, and it's with one arm, with one arm, and she looks awesome. And, but but it just, it just, I just I just I just think if Fury Road hadn't come out before this film, there wouldn't <laughs> be that much of a backlash. But anyway, so you got so you got that sort of but that sort of relationship. Um, when you first introduced to uh actually no. After you're introduced to Owen when he does all the cool raptor crap, um, the she Claire uh is told to bring Owen in to check out the Rex's cage to make sure that it's safe. Um, which of course isn't but <laughs> so when she goes to meet him it 's revealed that they 've actually had a date previously, so they actually have a, they have a standing relationship, and the date didn 't go well. it was the first date um she was really uptight and she had a plan she had the date planned out by time <laughs> and and you know he's like oh um, and uh, and he just wore boar shorts, and he's like she ref- she refused to drink to tequila, tequila with him and all that stuff, so the date didn 't go well and stuff and so but then then they had that sort of they have that sort of classic And I say classic in the hope of not offending anybody, but so that sort of 70s male and female relationship type stuff, which I guess is is most perfectly portrayed in Romance in Romancing the Stone. So it has, essentially has a scene lifted for Romance in the Stone where you've got the the adventure guy, the up-type woman who... Hang hey, this is Crocodile Dundee! <laughs> <laughs> so there's more Romance in the Stone! It's get me off track. Um, so and And of course, you know, she's... You know, he he thinks she's she's hot, and you know, she 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 eventually stops being so uptight, and she, she learns to embrace her femininity, and, and you know, and she you know strips off some of her clothes, and not everything because it's family kid family film, but you know, sort of stuff. So it has so it has that entire basically that scene is entirely that. So he he sexually harasses her, and then you know he's like, how about we sort of you know we, we talk about it in the in the bungalows sort the uh, stuff, you know. But and she's she, she's not as annoying as Kate Capshaw. Nowhere near as annoying as K sure. Sorry, she,
3: I'm just thinking of all the dynamics. No, We've seen this before. She, she could act.
0: Yeah. But that, and that's and that's like that's my point, thank yeah. you. That is exactly my point. We've seen this thousands of times before. And what I think this film is I don't think this film is trying it's clearly not trying to be sexist. I think it's tr- it's more trying to be it's trying to be sort of a, a sort of homage to that sort of old sort of school... But people are saying it's an old-fashioned, are they? Yeah, well, yeah, but that's just it. It's, it's yeah. old-fashioned sort of stuff, and we shouldn't do that sort of stuff anymore, and it's, you know, sexism and all that sort of stuff. So, to answer the question, is it sexist? Yes, it quite clearly <laughs> is, right? But is that such a bad thing? I mean, I actually, I actually think that because it's so clearly meant to be ton in chic, I don't really see the problem with it. I mean, it's not... It's... in. And also, and also, it sort of brings me to the thing where, actually, I think we're, I think we're in danger of getting to the point now where uh, we can't have characters with flaws, because mm. as soon as a character shows a flaw, they're automatically the that, attacked. The people who wrote that character are exactly <laughs> um, like those yeah, flaws, like, that they want you to be like that. That's exactly it, and yeah. that's clearly what it is. I mean, yeah. Owen is full of flaws. I mean, Owen is actually a bit of a dick, let's be honest. And if he wasn't Chris Pratt, it would be, you know, it's a... And, and so, and, and, I, and I, I didn't see anything wrong with that yeah, there's the, nothing wrong
2: with that the intention is to put a character up there on the screen not to put up a role model
0: exactly and he has no character arc I mean he's a dick from the start and he's a dick at the end I mean it's mm. and, you know and, <laughs> and, you know, and, that's, and I've, I've got no problem with that I mean it's not this is not a sort of this is not a film that's meant to change the world it's you know, it is right. what it is uh, so just, I'll just very quickly bring it off with some other things um and the other thing is, uh, I follow a guy on Twitter called uh, Dean Faraci, um, who is a movie reviewer and stuff like that. Now, I follow him because I find him quite interesting, because I actually I quite often don't agree with him, <laughs> but he's always entertaining and explains why, and so I quite like that sort of that sort of dynamic, where I don't agree with what you're saying, but I understand why you come to that conclusion, and you're eloquently enough to explain it. Um, but he did actually have this one thing where he did a, a post about how Zara... Oh, spoiler alert, Zara dies. Um, and it's... It, her death is really quite dramatic. Like you see people dying left, right, and center, um, especially the security guard. Um, and and you know, and it's, and it's sort of it's typical of the Jurassic Park sort of death, right? So um, it's you know it's quick. You don't really there's no blood. You know it's all you know one bite and they're, and they're gone sort of stuff. But you see, um, Zara, unfortunate, poor Zara. <laughs> so she 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 dies during the de- the the, the, the pterodon attack. I mean she gets she gets lifted up. She gets fought over by a couple of pterodons, screaming her head off the entire time and then uh and i don 't want to spoil it too much, but she eventually then dies in, in you know, a quite horrific horrible way and and his point, which I actually agree with, is that she just doesn 't deserve to die this way, like the security guard whose who's complete fault it is he dies in one bite she gets what looks what is actually on uh, like a minute of uh, in what probably it 's screen time of a minute, but it would in the actual events would be even longer than that. Just of just absolute abject terror, that is just right in the front of the screen, and she, and, she, there's, and he had this really interesting point that where you know the people in the film, if they have to die, die appropriate to their characters and their character arcs, which i never even thought of before, which is which is fascinating, and, and I agree with him. It just she doesn't. There's no reason why Zara, who does nothing in the film, deserved to die that way. Is that supposed yeah, to be the release we're... for the audience? That's a... Yeah, it's weird, yeah. and it says, and, and actually, and so the coolness—if I you can say such a word—the coolness of her death, right, is actually is is diminished because I just felt really bad. You know what I mean? I was like, See, why is, that, is this
2: happening to this poor girl? Is it because women make better terror victims? They can squeal better, and
0: I guess so. But there still would have been. It's other... like a
2: fair race sort of style of damsel in distress thing.
0: You know what? You're probably right. You know, you're probably right. But I don't know. Anyway, I just felt for the poor girl. Just, just put it out there. Yeah, I'll just put it out there. It was just unnecessary. But anyway, like I said, uh, Jurassic World, it's, it's got its problems, and I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> it, is, it, you know, it is what it is. Uh, try not to take it too seriously. Um, uh, but it is massive. It's going to be another one. And uh, that scene with Chris Pratt and the Velociraptors is awesome, uh, which is exactly what they wanted it to be. So I give it 3.5 out of 5.
2: I thought it was interesting that you said that they talked about genetic engineering, that sort of stuff. They sort of give it a, a bit of an out there with the, how they could create the dinosaurs and how they might look different. Because I remember our visit yeah. to the um, Natural History Museum in New York. Where they, there was the two guys that worked there that took great glee in destroying all David's notions of how that raptors actually looked in oh, real life. Yeah.
0: They're,
2: they're lucky I'm not a
0: violent person.
2: They didn't say anything. <laughs> they said to him, like, no, just go down there, go around the corner, and it's the one right at the end. Go and have a look at it. So we went down and we had a look, and David's face dropped because yeah. they're... They're like 20 centimetres tall. Yeah.
0: We are talking about the Velociraptors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And
2: yeah. then we came back and, and we were sort we of... I don't think we intended to talk to them again, but they're all there eager going, what did you think? What did you think? I know. Like, they love it. They love it. And, Bastards. and they, they were just like, in such glee and crushing all day of its dreams. <laughs> I was pretty upset. I mean, I knew the
0: Velociraptors didn't look like they do in the film. Right? Yeah. yeah. But I didn't realise they were chicken size. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> like they're chickens. They're literally <laughs> chickens. <laughs> They're not—they're not going to be chasing, you know, Tim and Alex around a kitchen. <laughs> they're just be kicked in the face, and that'll be the end of them. So anyway, oh. you know,
1: I'm, a, I'm a, I, everything you said, I predicted. <laughs> I, I, I really—I I didn't even mean to do that. That's funny. Well, um, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't want to give the
0: inspiring away for people want to see.
1: I—I didn't. What I—what I meant by predicted was I kind of knew that that movie wasn't going to be the best ever. But I'm still super excited to see it. like I know it's going to be kind of a bad movie, but I don't care. like I think it's going to be really fun and, and I actually was kind on seeing it yesterday and I, I um I'm excited to see it, but I know it's going to have its flaws like I know that the movie is going to be bad in a lot of ways
0: yeah I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm not one of those sort of people that sort of say, well, what did you expect Citizen King?" you know what I mean it's like i mean i expect i expect I'm a, I'm a harsh I'm a harsh judge right I expect a film <laughs> to have a plot yeah, you know and you know a, a logical sequence of events you know what i mean i mean it's, I, I don't i don't excuse a film for not having competency you know what i mean it's like shots should be framed properly it should be in focus the sound should be right all that sort of stuff right so it's when i say you know don't expect greatness. I don't. It's it's not because it's badly it's badly made. I mean, it's obviously it's competently made. They're not going to let some piece of crap but get out there. It's not going to be an entry into the art cinema. Is art? Yeah, it, yeah. cinema is art. Exactly right. It's not art. <laughs> it is. It's enjoyment. It's fun. It's enjoyment. It? Fun enjoyment for two hours. And and it is definitely better than two and three. So that's that's a bonus.
1: Y- they can't all be tusk. You know. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: so we want to Clash of champions.
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
0: uh, let's get ready to rumble! Cool. So, round round four of Clash of Champions, uh, pretty exciting stuff. We've got uh, Gambit from the X Spin, who's a, a popular choice. We had a couple of people in previous rounds asking for Gambit, so hey, I thought. Oh, mon ami. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice! You can do the Gambit stuff. So smooth. Um and. Uh, versus uh, Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe, the Ninja Supreme from G.I. Joe.
3: Before we get started, there are much more fun-named G.I. Joes out there. There's there's a guy called Skidmark. (laughs) Skidmark. (laughs) What about... What about Snow Job?
0: <laughs> snow Job is awesome. <laughs> Snake Eyes, come on, skid Mark. he'd be awesome. <laughs> skid mark would be awesome. Well, in the world of GI Joe, no one is more awesome than That's Snake true. Eyes. That's true. He's the man. He is, he is the man. And so, and, uh, so he's, a, he's the ninja on the team. Now, in the world of GI Joe, there are no superpower beans. Um, you can get sort of genetically modified people, but uh, but Snake Eyes is not genetically modified. He's the peak, the peak human capabilities without any modifications. And of course, and he's a in ninja. Black. In black, yeah, and he's a, and he's a ninja, um, so he's uh, but he's a comic book ninja. I just need to point that out. He's a comic book ninja, so he's not like a real, <laughs> a real history. Ninja. So he does all sorts of all sorts of crazy stuff. That you expect comic book ninjas to do, and uh, Gambit um, is uh, one of the X Men. Uh, he's a Cajun. Uh, he has the ability. So we're gonna. This I actually needed to point this out because somebody brought this up in the comments, which was which was excellent. So I thank them for that. Uh, recently, Gambit got t- turned into one of the Horsemen, Death. So we're gonna do Gambit before that period. Otherwise, overpowered. It'd be a curb stomp. It'd be. It should be Gambit versus Superman or something. You know what I mean? It was, it was ridiculous. For for those for those of you, uh, who I mean obviously you don't know because we didn't have it recording when we were talking about but Bo's recording this from bed. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. He's, he's, I can, we, I can, we I can. should
1: actually we should actually mention that we tried like different rooms in the house yeah. even my garage and my car to figure out which room sounded best.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Bo loves us loves us doing this show so much that he was willing to sit in his car for 2 hours. That's that's that's, that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately it's, it's raining in South Carolina at the moment. But anyway, so Gambit, yeah, X-Men, Cajun. Uh, so he has the ability to uh, transform um, inorganic material into kinetic, sort of, a, sort of a kinetic plasma energy, which he can then use different sort of things that explode, essentially. So his most common thing is that he charges up his staff, so when he's fighting someone, his, his staff actually causes, you know, quite substantial amounts of damage when it hits. Um, and he also is, he has a, a deck of playing cards that he charges up and then throws. That's sort of the classic sort of gambit sort of stuff. But he does other stuff as well. So, I mean, he can basically pick up anything he wants, charges up and throw it as, as like, ready-made grenades at any, at any point. Um, there was a period where he could actually also do uh, organic stuff, but actually we're going to stick with the inorganic stuff. So the, the classic, the classic cartoon version of him. Am I right in
3: thinking that he can hip ties people a little bit too? Has he got a bit of hip powers?
0: No. No? Okay, no, no. I'm confused. <laughs> so there is, there is a point where he could actually fly for short
1: periods. He yeah, yeah there's always very things.
0: He could look at stuff and charge it up. Yep. Yeah, but no, that's all ridiculous. He lost that. Mr Sinister took those powers away, I so. say. <laughs> <laughs> Mr Sinister, he's always, he's always meddling. <laughs> I know. I mean, when you call it Sinister, you're going you know, to yeah, live up to your name. A like that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, so Gambit. So the main, so also the main sort of thing for Gambit is that he's ridiculously agile. He's not super strong, but he is super fast and super agile. We're not talking Spider-Man level. Is he super freaky? <laughs> a lot of ladies would think so. He's a, he's a popular wow. choice amongst the female readers. Um, he is. He's also quite. He's got. He, it was all about the charm, and and uh, he's a he's a hustler. So he's all about the hustle. Um, and uh, he's pretty cool. he's pretty cool I like him but I thought he was quite well realised too in that 90's X-Men character he, he was he was quite well done yeah yeah, yeah. and I actually thought uh, in the even though the film itself is terrible the first Wolverine film Origins yeah. um, Gambit shows up played by Taylor Kitsch does um, nothing in particular <laughs> does nothing but looks awesome <laughs> I, love that, I love that scene where he's running across the rooftops and then leaves into battle where it's like well to get if you think about it the battle takes place directly outside the club so that means he had to run a couple of blocks away, and then run a couple of blocks back again <laughs> for the ladies. For no reason. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So it's like very. He's very a uh, good fighter. Um, he's managed to fight Daredevil to uh, standstill. Um, there was a tie between him and Daredevil, so he's, he's quite good.
3: It's not sounding good for Snake Eyes. Is uh, it?
0: But Snake Eyes. Let me move on to Snake Eyes. <laughs> okay. Now, I've actually got some stuff. I've actually done some research on the Snake Guys because I thought the majority of the listeners wouldn't really know. How wrong was I? Right? The Snake Guys fan base is rabid. Rabid, I tell you. So I've got a bunch of ex- ex- explanations for why Snake Guys should win. Right? It's <laughs> ridiculous. Right? So, um, so, Snake Eyes, so like I say, he's a ninja. So he's a military ninja, right? He's peak human. He once had a rifle aimed right at, the, at his back from five feet away with his arms up in the air. He managed to turn around, tackle the shooter, before the shooter even got a shot off, and before... Snake Eyes' knife had reached the ground. Okay, was this in the comics? This is in the comics. Is this written by Chuck Dixon? He
3: it was
1: by Chuck Dixon!
3: Is, he is not a good writer by at Chuck all. Chuck Dixon. Chuck <laughs> Dixon. I've
0: actually got a quote from Chuck Dixon that says that Snake Eyes is the equivalent fighting ability to Batman. Now, come on. Chuck Dixon. Just, that's all needs to be said. <laughs> Chuck Dixon. That's just enough. Anyway, but I'll prove it. Every one of these examples is Chuck Dixon related. Okay, the um, suspect. The suspect. Once, he once swung his sword so fast that the friction from the air made the blade burst into flame. No, Chuck Dixon. (laughs) (laughs) That's not possible. He can summon Chi. Cheese? Chi. Not cheese. Cheese. Cheese eyes. (laughs) He can summon his Chi into his fist so that he can punch through concrete statues as if they were made of styrofoam. He even once flipped a tank. (laughs) He was so angry that he flipped a tank which we're talking like five to ten tons, depending on what type of tank it was. Yeah. So. But
3: hang on, you you banned Gambit from having <laughs> godlike powers, but Snake Guys <laughs> is allowed to have Chuck Dixon powers.
2: This <laughs> Chuck is- Dixon. Powers. <laughs> and cheese. Uh,
0: anyway, I'm, I'm not saying and he would do this during the fight. He was under he was under extreme <laughs> duress when he okay, did that. Right, that's so. it's, it's important to point out the guy had that in brackets. Don't worry. <laughs> all right he can what could, dodge
1: what you can do if he was written by Chuck Dixon then? exactly,
0: well Chuck <laughs> Dixon he has, he has been written by Chuck <laughs> Dixon so. anyway, enough Dixon hate, <laughs> let's leave the guy alone um, so at one, one point Snake Eyes was in a room with five highly trained Russian soldiers there was five highly trained Russian soldiers who were assigned to kill him, but he managed to dodge all of their machine gun fire, disappear and then kill them all without any of them seeing him kill the others, all within the same sort of radius, right? and apparently according to one of the comments even if his fight lasted for a bit which it should um Eyes doesn't quit until he wins even if he's on the verge of death and even to death
2: does he he quit if he loses (laughs) yes I guess he does (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: Not when Chuck if, Dixon's he, if he's knocked out he essentially quit. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't quit in his head but his body gave out um so there was quite a lot of there was quite a lot of gambit love as well so you know obviously you know it's like you know gambit is you know that's where i saw that he can fight that he fought daredevil to a standstill although it was then pointed out that even though he managed to fight daredevil to a standstill standstill he absolutely uh annihilated bullseye <laughs> and Bullseye and Daredevil quite often fight against yeah, him. So, it, I don't know, it doesn't really quite make that sense. Um, so it's kind of inconsistent, probably because of Chuck Dixon. I've got to do it for <laughs> you. But uh, he manages to beat people who he should not really be able to beat, but he gets beaten by people who he should easily beat. Look, that's yeah. comics for you. Uh, like, that's comics. Yeah. It's all over the place. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, the arena. Uh, the arena is an 1800 by 1800 feet island, which is about four city blocks Of 450 feet by 450 feet, it's filled with typical city stuff, and uh, it's essentially four city blocks of New York. So it's got buildings, warehouse, shops, cars, that sort of stuff. Uh, There are no civilians present, and it's covered by a force field that reaches up 700 kilometers. 700 kilometers is high enough to go into
1: space. Space. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, my voice.
0: Your voice voice got out at you. Yes, space. (laughs) Um, So, uh, so what I think is, what we'll do is we'll start them off. they get teleported into the, into the thinner, mm-hmm. into the sea. Um, Gambit, they are aware of each other, so they know that to win they have to take out the other person, um, and Snake Eyes has all the equipment that he would normally have. So he has two swords, machine gun, which I believe is an Uzi, shurikens, grappling hooks, trank dart, I should have written this down.
2: He's kind of overly weaponized, if he's he's in, Oh,
0: and his goggles, the goggles that he wears, infrared <laughs> and something else, some sort of targeting thing. He's just he's ridiculous. Right? How
2: good is this guy without all those weapons?
0: We'd still be in, in very impressive without the weapons. He's like, he's like in the world of G.I. he's like the world's greatest fighter. He could get off
3: the couch without making an old man noise.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> we should have you for every one of these. Cool. All right, so they're in the city. You're aware of each other. Oh, and Gambit's got his staff, obviously. Well, from
3: the sounds of things, I guess it's Snake Eyes, but I've got, I've got to give reasons, don't I? Yeah. Okay, I would I would think Snake Eyes is far more tactical than Gambit. Yeah. So I think that Snake Eyes would be dropping in military style, looking yep. in his environment, and coming up with a bit of military planning. <laughs> okay, what,
0: what is the military plan that he would come up with?
3: Well, oh, I, I think he'd uh, try to attack from a distance. Yep first, and then uh, see his target. What's the capabilities of this target? What, what can this target do?
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Everybody in agreement with that? Yeah. That makes perfect right. sense. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. So he gets high ground. Yep. Gets to one on the top, top of a building, not too high, because he needs to be able to see the, see the streets. Yep. And actually, like, tries to take him out with his machine gun. He doesn't have yes. a sniper rifle, so his machine gun has to be within his machine gun range. Yep. And Gambit easily dodges from that distance. I mean, come on. Yes. <laughs> so Gambit dodges out of the way. So he's like, alright, so I already know he's got enhanced, enhanced agility. Um, he looks like a weirdo with that weird breastplate thing that he wears. Because that's basically that breastplate's weird. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's cool looking. He's pretty. He's very handsome. Dodges out of the way. Gambit.
2: Oh no, the handsomeness. I just can't I can't it. stand all the handsomeness.
0: <laughs> 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 and... Uh, so then, Gambit does he then go down to engage Gambit, or does Gambit come up to him?
1: Uh, Gambit would go. I don't. I don't think he would. Uh, you know, high ground's not so good if you got a noozy. You know, I think he would. Uh, I think Gambit would probably go after him, but he'd probably also want to uh, get closer.
0: Yeah, close in. Yeah, I reckon the fight goes inside, and so we go to a similar sort of situation where we had with X-23 versus Robin, where they're inside the building, and you've got places of actual concealment and surprise attack type stuff. Because uh, being, yeah. being a ninja, I mean, I, I agree with you, he's a lot more tactical. Mm. I think, I'd, I you know, at the, at, at the risk of offending Gambit fans, I think he's smarter than Gambit. So he'd... Gambit, you know comes goes into the building and you know, he's going after him sort of stuff, the five block run thing that Taylor Kish does, and then and but in, but in the meantime, Snake Eyes is inside the building, you know, in a in concealment somewhere, or we he's set up that... some traps of some kind. Or I always
3: see Gambit as being more instinctive or impulsive, yep. so he might do things on the fly and perhaps be a bit more creative in what he might do, but not being, say, the tactical master.
0: Yeah, yeah, I yeah. It,
1: can I mean. T- on uh, you know sheer power, like because I was originally thinking, well, this would be easy. Like Gambit's just gonna charge a card and blow the dude's head off. But yeah, I mean, Snake Eyes is... and Gambit's just a normal dude. Snake Eyes sneaks up behind him and cuts his head off. Gambit's dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But there's not a. Unless what if he charged like... his head though? Can't charge
2: organically.
1: Oh, rain. dang it, that's right. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, can't charge it. Oh, you said they went inside. I can imagine if they went inside um, the 30 Rock building and that plaza and underneath, they'd probably get lost. <laughs> We'd be able to find their way out of that place. A <laughs> huge foyer. Yeah, <laughs> you're totally right.
0: Um, actually, so, I reckon, so Snake Eyes is in concealment, Gambit's in, Snake Eyes comes out from, a, from attack, they're fighting, Gambit charges up his staff. Snake Eyes yeah, yeah. has got his swords, like, drops the gun. He's all about the combat. He's got the swords, annihilates the staff. There's <laughs> no competition. No, right. <laughs> the, the, the sword just takes the, the, the staff out. Gambit's like, all right, char- uh, this- so, well, so he, like, he, he's got the staff, he's, he's got an attack. Snake so, Eyes cuts the staff in half, so that classic movie style, so then ah! he's got the two sticks. He's like, ah, two sticks. So Gambit charges both both of the sticks and throws them both. Which Snake Eyes clear, easily dodges out of the way, and then Gambit uses a combination of sort of combat and charging the cards up, and sort of throwing the cards and stuff. Snake Eyes, being the master that he is, is you are recreating this fight with your yeah, hands and your arms. He's going crazy. He's <laughs> He's 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 dodging. He's either dodging or blocking or whatever the case may be. Um, he's he's blocking Gambit's physical stuff, dodging the energy stuff. Because because then he then would be able to know he's, as soon as the cars go past they explode so he knows he can't block do- can't block it because it'll explode so he has to dodge out of the way, and uh, I wanted to at one point kind <laughs> is to see it's, it's I'm not too sure exactly do you remember the cartoon how long does it take him to charge something it's fairly instant isn't it it's like it's not but, but it's not instant instant yeah it's not There's instant, a slight instant. delay so you're uh, thinking the noise yeah yeah Zzzz. yeah yeah so um, Gambit tries to charge. Snake Eyes's codpiece <laughs> <laughs> turns him into skid <laughs> That would that would give Snake Eyes a uh, uh, bit uh, I was going to say visor, but, sorry, okay, so, but of course you. One thing if Gavitt's on the ground, maybe he just
3: puts a hand up. Unfortunately
0: <laughs> That's where he can reach That's whatever's it was there Snake <laughs> Eyes Kicks his feet out From under him He falls down He just re- Reaches wildly It's codpiece Dude Snake <laughs> Eyes guys, Snake guys doesn't speak So Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah so but, uh, but You could just You could just tell Just from the, the facial expression If He'd
2: have the uh, Eyes coming out of woo. Yeah <laughs> <laughs>
3: Sorry, um, this is serious. This is serious. Probably, no,
0: no, you're, you're, you're both crazy. I like it, but um, but so it's, it's it's come down to it. I mean, it's all the the things that I've that I've read and I've seen. I've, I've done. I've, looked, I've got a couple of GI Joe comics. I've had a look into the stuff. A uh, couple. Um, oh, well, that's as nuts as anybody needs. <laughs> <It's- laughs> and uh, I just I just, I think it really hand to hand as good as Gambit is, and I'm not saying he's not good, mm. but I think Staguy has got this even without weapons. I and think it'd be quite
3: it cold, clinical, and methodical. Yeah. over in a very short time. Yeah, um, it could have been that lady would take longer, still being eaten by pterodons
0: <laughs> in this fight. Don't pick up bazaar. <laughs> um, yeah, I really see it as this: as I, 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 I think Gambit is just going all out trying to take mm. this guy down. You know, and I don't okay. think I, and, and Snake Eyes is just, just piece by piece just taking him well, apart
3: I'd, I'd make the point to a lot of X-Men stories the X-Men on their own perhaps don't do so well they're a team mm. group and you know they train the danger room and they they work together so I think Gambit would miss who he might normally get to be with when sort of battling and that kind of stuff and I think he would be a bit overwhelmed and and then not be able to it's come back ball. from that yeah
2: how does he come back from the Charged Cog piece though? did I miss a bit?
0: oh we weren't really doing the
3: Charged Cog really, piece were we? <laughs> no, <that's
2: laughs> a, we
0: weren't really doing that were we? <laughs> I think Snake Eyes yeah. would still win even with minus a penis. <laughs> 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 they might change his name, but uh... he's come back right from the dead. I um, actually, forgot, actually yeah. forgot to do a bit right at the start of the fight. I wanted to do a bit where Gambit actually tries to charm Snake Eyes, is like, is like it. That's like, like, <laughs> what I mean. He's
3: got mi- mind powers to
0: hypnotize. He's got no mind powers, um, but I just I, I decided not to do it in the end because I didn't want another example, another situation with Deadpool. <laughs> but anyway, it's... well, that's I think Snake Eyes has got the
1: same problem Deadpool does, where it's just. His his fan base has turned him into <laughs> such a narrative that it's impossible to kill him. Only thing is, is mm. Deadpool is taken kind of in a tongue in cheek way, but they've kind of made fun of sort of it is. And I think, I think that Snake Eyes, it's it's, it's not tongue in cheek. It's like serious.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's almost yeah he's almost superhuman. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I think it's, yeah I think I think I think it's basically there. It's Gambit trying his hardest, doing well. Like he's got Snake Eyes' respect. But just bit by bit, just takes him out. Sliced. And then, I think he'd just knock him out. I don't think he'd slice him. Yeah, but I, I, we'll go with KO. Yeah. So, so Snake Eyes eventually KO Gambit.
2: Okay.
3: Because maybe maybe Snake Eyes would like Gambit as a wingman for when he goes out dating. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to kill him. <laughs> well, Scar- Could be useful well, later on.
0: Nah, Snake Eyes is in love with Scarlet. Oh, I
1: get confused by this. Come
0: though. on. <laughs> <laughs> and Gambit's already got Rogue. The classic Gambit think, Rogue relationship.
1: Oh, you, I kind of think of Gambit
0: as the Pepe Le Pew of the. Egg, of the egg, <laughs> that's so true. Pepe, Pepe Le Pew is just creepy. Does Gambit
2: have skunk power?
0: No, Gambit has no skunk power. Oh, you people are mean. All right, so so we're so we're so just to be clear, we're all in agreement that it's a Snake Eyes victory.
2: Yep.
0: Nobody has any counter argument.
2: I have no emotional involvement either way. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I...
0: The, I don't have to emotional involvement, but do you have any sort
1: of logical... And, and, and
3: I changed what I thought from the information I heard, so I, I thought it would go the other way, but uh, clearly
0: whitewash. You reckon? Bo? you reckon? Yeah,
1: me, me too, yeah. I, I really wanted... To be, I begrudgingly agree.
0: Okay, this is the most... Uh, this is this is the point where we now reveal the, our uh, social media responses. I've, I've never been more excited than I have for this one. <laughs> I've been hanging out for this one. All right, here we go. Are you ready for this? As of this recording, we had 83 comments on Facebook. Not as much as we have for others, right? Not as much, but rabid. <laughs> rabid responses. All right, 83 comments on Facebook. I had to disqualify some of them because, you know, one person said Naruto, another person said Goku, uh, you know. Another, another one actually said Deadpool versus Deathstroke, and I was like, we've already done that. <laughs> but Move on. Move on. Um, so I had to, had to disqualify some. So And uh also, for the first time, I actually remembered to put it on Twitter as well. So I put it on Twitter and said... Um, retweet for Gambit and favorite for Snake Eyes
1: I said I would have favorited and retweeted, that way it would have cancelled it out
0: yeah. <laughs> fair enough, uh, well we got three responses, uh, three legitimate responses to, to the Twitter things. so that's a total of 86 results what do you think the results were? total 86
2: just judging by the conversation here I would guess Snake Eyes, but I, I really don't know much about either character
3: okay Snake Eyes, 20% Gambit. Right, okay. Wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So,
1: I I would have said the opposite before you informed us of uh, Snake Eyes. I would have said most people would say Gambit, because I feel like he's the more popular character. But it sounds like I'm wrong in that assumption. It sounds like there's more Snake Eyes fans out there than there are. Rabbit. Rabbit Snake
0: Eyes fans. All right, well, I'll give you a clue to what the results were. I'll give you a clue. We actually had two people that said it would be a tie and they were right 37 Gambit 37 State guys you are excited wow. I'm so excited I have
3: to say too uh, this well, is oh sorry it's the first time I've been here to witness this storytelling in action in the flesh and Dave gives a great audio representation on the podcast but when you see it in the flesh it's like he's playing Wii as
0: he's telling the story as the fight's going on it's awesome I need to point out I'm not playing with my by Wii no, uh, no. it's like a am the Wii console that's right it's, it's action <laughs> So, so it was in fact a tie, thirty-seven, thirty-seven. So, so that's never happened, and that's never happened before. And that went down to the wire, like <laughs> actually, because I have to stop counting from a certain point. So, like we can then come do the show. So before, so I was, I was, I was, was hitting refresh. I've been up since seven o'clock this morning, well and <laughs> I've been hitting refresh like every five minutes to see this new ones and stuff. And uh, I thought it was, it was going to be um, thirty uh, six no, 37 Gambit and 36 dead guys and it was just it was one more and I was like alright that's oh. it it was, it was like I've, I've got to, I can't wait any longer because you'd, you'd arrive by this point so this is been yeah. you when you ring the doorbell oh, I was the deadline Was that it? was the deadline yeah, okay. so you, the doorbell rang, and I was like that's it so, so I would you as, as like
3: the Don King of the fight scene <laughs> for what you're doing in the podcast that means you've got a good choice of characters against each other I think so
0: yeah, so yeah interesting I, matchup I thought it, was, it was, wasn't going to be all that exciting and like I said 86 results is not all that much I mean Deadpool you just have to mention the word. Of course, there was a couple of Deadpool ones. Mm. You just mention the word Deadpool on Facebook, and the thing explodes. Mm. Um, but I'm happy with the the quality of comments because we've got people who are quite <laughs> quite excited about it. So, yeah, I just I thought Snake Eyes being such a, mm. a I thought obscure sort of a, a more obscure sort of char- uh, character, but no, man, I go crazy. Just,
3: as, a, as an interest, I'm sure most of us would have read more material to do with Gambit than Snake Eyes. Yeah, yeah, it's a. I would How'd never it? think to read a G.I. Joe comic. I know IDW is doing quite well with them, apparently. Yeah, but, yeah. I'd never think to read a G.I. Joe comic. I did yeah, bring home
2: yeah, a G.I. Joe <laughs> movie, but it was the Robert Mitchum one. <laughs> ah, ah,
0: <laughs> it wasn't ah. the actual G.I. Joe.
2: Anyway, so that's... Uh,
0: he would win in the fight. Yeah,
2: uh, was, he, would, uh, he, would,
0: he would blast. Oh, yeah, Robert Mitchum all the way. It <laughs> doesn't matter who he's up against. <laughs> cool stuff. So that was round four. So next up, we've got round five. Uh, and our opponent, our opponents for that Round will be it's back to the ladies. But ladies, next round ladies' night is Psylocke right. versus, versus Batgirl, and it's specifically the Cassandra Kane Batgirl, which I thought was interesting. So it's not Oracle Batgirl, it's Cassandra Kane Batgirl. So,
2: no idea what you're talking about. I know, you have to do some All research. All I'm hearing is Batgirl,
0: you know who Batgirl is, right? <laughs> Or we'll think of like a ninja Batgirl. That's basically. Well,
3: if it was Oracle Batgirl, she'd be in trouble,
0: wouldn't she? Well, well yeah. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. think it would be pretty easily Psylocke if it was yep. normal Batgirl. But this is Cassandra Kane Batgirl, so it's very specific. Versus Psylocke. So.
2: Psylocke has to wear pants. Psylocke is not wearing I pants. She has to wear pants. There's no pants. <laughs> <laughs> she does not wear pants. She does not it wear pants.
1: There's no codpiece.
0: Bit, bit, hey. there. So, yeah. So <laughs> the, the voting for that will uh, be open in a week's time. Uh, Cool, so next up we've got our top
2: five. (laughs) Five, five, five. Speedway, speedway. At the end of every show, still after all this time, at the end of every show, I still hear my head, and thanks to you, the (laughs) listener.
0: (laughs) I wish they'd used that tape, but never mind. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, So for this uh, segment of uh, top five, we've got our top five songs. Like I said, uh, it was at the start, it's followed up from our top five bands, which was uh, quite hard, but this was even harder. Uh, we're going to go. We're going to start with our special guest, Pete. Oh my goodness!
3: Five is very hard. It's very hard, and I, to do this, I cannot encapsulate who I am with music. I had to pick what's my favourite music genre that I keep going back to. What gives the most to me? So I haven't gone for what are the most important songs, or what are the songs? They're songs I keep going back to since hearing them. They're always in my listening roster, and they've always got something more to give. And I haven't gotten sick of them, and they're they're always there. So that's my. That's my good. theme, I guess. That's good. So it's it's my list. So I had number. F- I'm going in order from up to the top. Five to one. Five to one. Okay. So number five, I had uh, to represent kind of a bit of '90s guitar rock. I'm sure people have Pearl Jam and Nirvana and all these iconic songs that they did. For me, that scene was encapsulated by a band called Ellison Chains with a song called Wood with a question mark. Now that's wood as in would you do this, not wood like Edward Woodward. (laughs) (laughs) For me, this was the end of their album, the Dirt album, which was huge. It's just got this amazing sound from the opening bass rumble to going around the toms on the drums, the guitar kicks in, and then the vocals hit, and it's this really claustrophobic, sort of really cathartic song in the way it's sung, and it's such a huge sound, and the song builds and builds into a slippery solo, and then the end there's even more to give. And it's just this, for me, it was how to just give mood and atmosphere into a song like nothing else I've kind of heard in the mainstream, uh, like Tea Party sort of comes close, but this Alice Chain song, Wood, is just huge. And ever since I've heard it, that's how you get atmosphere in a song. That, that's that's number five for me. Wow. Number four, I love death metal. And it had to be on the list. And it's a very, very hard thing to choose because there's so much variety in death metal, even though for most people it's just like noise. Um, had to put it, I like bands that have been around for a while and they do a song that shows they're back. They've got a creative spark again. And it's a Cannibal Corp song off the, not the newest album, the last one, Torture, called Scourge of Iron. And this song for Cannibal Corpse is kind of interesting. It's not fast, it's really slow, and it's got a real rhythmic beat on it. And it's a down-tuned song, and it's heavy and slow, and it just works. It just pummels you with this nice slow beat. And having seen them in concert a few times, the crowd just goes berserk on this one. And, you know, I never... Put my phone up at a concert and film stuff but when this one comes on oh, i have got to film it uh, to get it and it's a—it's just such a brutal song slow and down tuned and just got all then cool twists and turns and things they put on I used to hate Cannibal Corpse but then when I sat and listened to them realize realised these guys are the business they are so tight when they play but this slow dirty yeah. song they have out is just unreal Scourge of Iron Ripping flesh, great lyrics <laughs> they had a song that came wow. out in their last album they're, uh, yep.
1: they're horror players too they play on the horror side well, Warcraft players. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah,
3: George Fisher has his uh, horde tattoo on his arm yeah. where he holds the mic, so it's proudly on display. <laughs> it's funny for this guy who sings like the most brutal kind of death metal. He's he put photos of him with his daughters online, and they, <laughs> they look just like him. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Yeah, yeah. The wow factor. I should have realised. Yeah. <laughs> um, number three. It's always good to I guess acknowledge where he came from, and, and definitely Black Sabbath um brought a lot to metal. Yeah. They. they They might have taken colors from other genres of music, but they made the palette that everybody uses and paints with ever since. And for me, their big song is War Pigs. It's epic. It's got multiple parts. It builds. The lyrics are about deep and dark themes. It just has everything about metal in the one song, slow and fast to to really expressive. And it's just got so much to give. And everybody knows it as soon as the siren hits in and everybody knows the lyrics. It's a bring people together song and just Black Sabbath worship. It's It's a brilliant, brilliant song.
0: Your choice of words during that that bit just there was absolutely brilliant. Oh, they borrow the colours, but they oh. created the palette. Well, because other oh,
3: bands, brilliant. Oh, thank you. Other bands have, as um, always, a debate who invented heavy metal. Yeah, and other bands have what they call proto metal. They are on the way, but Black Sabbath just put it together, put it together right in this mm. one package, from down tuning to playing power chords to the way Ozzy sings in a higher register, kind of above the the heaviness, the, the jazzy style drums, and using you know the blues bass riffing. It's just. Black Sabbath had it all there and mm. um, now bands still pay homage to what they did and they're, they're just, they are so good. They're I not my number one. <laughs> I don't
0: even like heavy metal, but, but I still respect. There's,
3: there's melody in there, that, so yeah, yeah. it would,
2: would get you in. This is the way Pete talks about it. I wish I had metal ears. I just don't have metal ears. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just pop, can't hear it, but yeah. I wish I could hear what you hear. No,
3: I'll, I'll find a way it. And because I used to listen to classical music. I never liked pop as a kid and then i heard this my number 2 which is the next one and that got me into heavy metal as a music yeah. cuz there's virtuosity in there and there's there's, there's songwriting and all that stuff oh. and i had
2: I think it's actually, a, like we've talked about it before on the show, I think it's actually a defect in my ears because we had this segment on Specs and Specs where you meant to pick the song and they all played in heavy metal style. And yeah. it just every single thing sounded the same to me. Right? And they're getting it. I'm like, yeah. how can you hear that?
3: I, I put the same thing for people who don't know with metal. It sounds like undifferentiated noise. You can't, mm. what's the pattern? It's like hearing somebody in another language. You can't even yeah. break up the words into syllables yeah. to know where to start. But you'd have that kind of thing if you're listening to, say, jazz fusion or... Sort of some esoteric modern composers in classical. You wouldn't. What, what's the structure? How do I even get into it? It seems yeah. like this brick wall of noise. And it, I didn't start with Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> uh, I started with my one and two for this list. And All right. good to ease way in. Yeah, number number two is a Seattle band. Don't have the profile of some of the other ones, but they're a band called Queensryche. And for me, they're as, as smart as metal gets. they they're slightly proggy in their stuff. Um, lots of influences in them. But the a band, the song Operation Minecraft. Mindcrime, sorry, off the album of the same name, is um, doing proggy metal with a really strong story concept. And it's one where the lyrics are just as strong as the music from the opening riff on the guitars to bringing in a story in an album that was really, really strong. And even though they're a pale imitation of what they used to be, um, Operation Mindcrime by Queensryche is just such a brilliant metal song that's, that would be a good way to you know get into metal because it's telling a story and there's even characters and all all the songs in the album are great but Operation Mindcrime was my big one and number one as a metal fan uh, really a a, a lot of metal begins and ends with Metallica they've given heavy metal so much and I think people forget because of the way they are now but their first five albums or at least the first four brought something completely new each time and took everybody by surprise and completely changed the metal scene so for me the big Metallica song is Master of Puppets Has everything Metallica in the one song the multiple parts, the speed of it, the melody. There's even a David Bowie roof in it. It's um, it's just uh, Master Puppets is an amazing, amazing song. And for a long time, they'd cut it short, playing it live and not do the full thing. And they're back to doing the full Master Puppets when they play. And uh, it's just such a brutal song. If you want to learn guitar, that has everything you need in Master Puppets. It's it's just genius songwriting, and very few bands touch that greatness in a, in a song. It's just it just has everything. Strong concept, strong music and melody and classical music influences in there too. So master puppets is my number one song. I just love it a bit. So music for me is, as is a, as is is an emotional thing. Mm. It's a, it's, it's there for me. And I can't imagine my life without music. And, and so when I talk about it, I, I it's, it's something that that's, I can't get enough of It's, it's, Music's unreal.
0: That's
2: told you this to a good topic for Pete. <laughs> yeah, I
0: just, I, that's why I was, I, was really, I was really glad that this is the episode that you chose to be on <laughs> no, with no, this, no. for this, this scene. Uh, so I'm going to do reverse alphabetical because I, I want to I bookend... The two musicians. So Pete started. I want to finish with both. So I'm going to reverse alphabetical, which means I'm next.
2: Okay. <laughs> I'm very interested to hear what you come up with because I, I normally I can predict a lot of what you might say, but not not in this instance. Well, uh, after there's only one that I know of that'll be on there.
0: Well, the, the one that I said, <laughs> episode 147.
2: and that was not pun intended.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually kind of embarrassed about <laughs> my top five because I mean I've got you know, musicians of the caliber of Bo and Pete, you know, on the show, you know what I mean, and your quite extensive musical taste, you know what I mean, so I, I, I look at my top five and I think, why am I doing Don't this? Don't be
2: embarrassed love <laughs> what you love. But
0: it's sure, fun. I, I yeah. might get something I haven't listened to before. Alright, okay, well I appreciate that. Um, it's, you know, like, like I said in episode 147, my musical taste is quite often derided uh, amongst my group of friends. Let's and
2: call it eclectic.
0: You know, and it's, yeah, it's, I, I, there's, I like what I like. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to apologise for it, goddammit. Then you've <laughs> chosen the right songs. <laughs> was, um, like, uh, like uh, Pete, I, sort of, I tried that tried to have a, a, a theme um, so these aren't the five uh, by, by no means am I saying these are the five greatest songs ever made, because they're not <laughs> right? they're clearly not Disclaimer. Uh, I just, it's, but they do all sort of mean something to me um, so that's the sort of thing that I'm going with, so my emotional attachment to these songs, um, and also whether they've got a funky beat and you can dance to it so, <laughs> um, so <laughs> Make sweet sweet love. <laughs> or make sweet Scooch sweet love. Scourge of
3: iron.
2: <laughs> Rip the flesh.
3: <laughs> Sorry, yeah, there was a cannibal corpse song that came out last year. The, the the hook in it, it's a really good hook is fire up the chainsaw. <laughs> it's,
2: it's like,
3: fire up the chainsaw.
0: <laughs> awesome. That's just good. Uh, none of my songs so, are anywhere near as good as that. But anyway. <laughs> Alright, so um number five I've got Ain't Nobody by Chaka Khan. All right, so now yeah, the reason I've got this on is because I think—I mean, I think it's a cool song to start off with. But uh, uh, I think Shaka Khan was the lady of of sort of soul and music and pop before, you know, the Pretenders come along, Mariah Carey and Chris, uh, Christina Aguilera, and all that sort of stuff. Oh, I thought
2: you meant the Pretenders, the band. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: Um, yeah, so Shakira is was absolutely massive. In her in her day, right? So she she was the the, the one. She's she was the the spiritual successor to Aretha Franklin. Um, and uh, ain't no body. Uh, I chose that because it's it's a song from the breakdance soundtrack. <laughs> um, yeah, when I first when I first heard this song, I, I didn't really grow up in a sort of a musical family, uh, which probably explains my musical taste. I, it, so it was I was more more movies than anything else. So the majority of the music that I that we sort of heard was music, music movie soundtracks. Um, and sort of classical music—that's so the sort of background I came from. Um, and when the, this, this was the song for me. Was the fir- the first time that I, I, I ever had. So I understood um, the allure of pop music. So pop music is is engineered to, to to make you, you know, you know, groove in your seat. You know, so you, Shaky you, so groove thing, shakey shake groove thing, and and, and bite. Essentially, <laughs> I mean, I mean, pop music is. Is ridiculous in in the way it sort of is, it's it's engineered to sort of to influence your mind. And this was the first song that did that to me. This is the first song that where I actually where I sort of, sort of thought, wow, this song's I, I can't dance, but this song's actually got me grooving and <laughs> I have a sort of emotional reaction to it because of what's happening on screen and you know the love st- st- story between the two characters on breakdance. I mean, really, breakdance. Um, so <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, so that's why. So it's, every so now every time I hear it. I feel, I get emotional, which is weird. It's bizarre. Anyway, moving on. Number four um, uh, is Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. Um, I mean, Michael Jackson was the musical genius that he was, and I mean, no one can deny that. Um, It's, and I think Man in the Mirror is his his best song. uh, It has that sort of emotional attachment to it. um, Even though now knowing what we know, <laughs> it's probably not the most honest song in the world, but it's it. it, it, it just, it's got a, it's got a, it, an awesome beat to it, and it's it's it basically it's Michael at the height of his powers. I thought, like. um, yeah. Anyway, enough said about that. <laughs> Michael uh, Jackson
2: powers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Have you seen Moonwalker?
2: No.
0: <laughs> he actually transforms. <laughs> he actually has powers. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, number three um, is "In Your Eyes" by Peter Gabriel. Everybody listening to this podcast knows this song, whether you actually know you know it. Um, it's used in almost every rom-com known to man um, <laughs> it's, uh, and is specifically the song that's played in the movie Say Anything uh, when John Cusack lifts the stereo above his head. Um, so it's yeah. everybody knows this song. Uh, I think Peter Gabriel... Uh, I mean, everybody says that, that Michael Jackson was a musical genius. I think Peter Gabriel is a musical genius. Uh, it, it's, everything he does is at the very least interesting even to the point of his video clips and all yeah like stuff, it videos. Yeah, he's, he's an innovator and, um, and I just In Your Eyes once again has that sort of emotional <laughs> emotional look. it's weird I, I, it's, it's really strange but anyway uh, and number two I've got um, Would I Lie To You by The um, I The Eurythmics were my number two band uh, in the previous episode and I think Would I Lie To You is the perfect pop song um in, in the terms of it, which borders on uh jazzy jazzy rock. It is it's, it's 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 almost the it's almost the perfect song, hence its number two status in 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 terms in terms of lyrics, video, beat, tempo, the whole deal. And Annie Letix's voice, which is just amazing. Uh and number one, no surprise to anybody who listened to episode 147 is One by U2. <laughs>
1: Getting better, or do you feel the same?
2: Will it make it easier on you now? You got someone to blame, you're saying, won't love.
0: Uh, Not just because of the catchy pun, um, because I just think it is, I think it's what you two's best song by far. the lyrics um, are, it's its almost poetry. The music itself is awesome and um, I just cannot help to be uh, emotionally affected every single time I hear this song and it never gets boring, ever. Brilliance. That's me. Excellent. Don't be embarrassed about that, Liz.
2: Oh, that's, a, that's a good one. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. okay, all right. that list. <laughs> I found it extremely hard to do because my top five would change on a day-to-day basis maybe even hourly basis depending on how I'm feeling so I mean I might have a five spot I've sort of even left blank to, depending on how I feel today so I'm going to I've put a few um, So this is today specific? It's today specific so put Custom list! A few <laughs> possibles down and out of those possibles I'm going to choose Wicked Game by Chris Isaac Nice um, When this song came out it was very different to everything else that was being played in the sort of top 40 of the moment and uh, there was there was the, the lyrical version of it and you could also there was the um the instrumental version of it as well on the album um i just it just hooked me in uh, i'm not so much keen on the on the video that went along with it but the, the song just hooked me in i very much and with my music i like my music to feel real and sort of honest and sort of anything sort of it sounds poppy and made for the dollars kind of puts me off. So a lot of the, the sort of uh, pop princess with little clothes on sort of um, music <laughs> sort of turns me right off, even if they can sing. <laughs> um, You're you not an Ariana Grande fan? No, not an, uh, not an <laughs> Ariana Grande fan. Um, yeah, if it sort of, sort of sounds real and honest to me, uh, 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 that'll hook me in straight away. And um, Chris Isaac just has an a awesome, awesome voice. Um, and I love songs. I think I'm uh, going through a lot of songs. I love songs that t- tell a story. Um, it, it, I just I'm getting hooked into a song that tells me a story, and I can sort of imagine the places and the people. I'll so just,
3: sorry, I'll never forgive Chris Isaac though for letting Hannibal Lecter get away. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's in Silence of the Lambs. He's one of the essay the the guys who comes yeah. in in the yeah he is. He's, one, the, one, of the he's yeah. one of the guards. <laughs> he's one of the guards.
2: He's done a bit of acting. the geek. one
0: that gets his face ripped yeah. off? <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> he has
2: done a bit of acting. He's had own TV show, which I haven't seen. That's not very good. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and the rest of my list, it's, it's not in any particular order. Number one's there because it's probably got the best story for, for at the moment. So anyway, number four, I've put 18 by Moby. Now, 18's an instrumental song, so this contradicts my... Um, idea of loving songs our story but it's just a song whenever I listen to it takes me to a place of sort of calm and it's really hard to describe it's sort of like a, a creative place I go into when I could when I hear this music and It's just probably should have chosen this one because it's really hard to describe how it feel but it's, it's it's one that always every time I hear it I love it every time I hear it it's not one I ever get sick of so when I heard it again yesterday, going through um, doing a bit of research for what I put my top five, I thought this has got to sort of be there. Number three on my list, uh, I put "Rocky Raccoon" by the Beatles. What? <laughs> because because when we went to see Guardians of the Galaxy a few uh, a few weeks ago, actually I think it was a couple of months ago now, that, that all I could hear in my head was "Rocky Raccoon." The Beatles version of "Rocky Raccoon," and and it's a sto- it's a song that tells a story, and it's a genre story. I mean, it's a western. I mean, how many Western pop songs do you know that are out there? It's all about Rocky Raccoon coming to town, and he finds his girl's gone off with another guy, who's hit young Rocky in the eye. <laughs> it's it's just a it's a fun song, and it's sort of Paul McCartney at his most playful and creative. I really I really enjoy it. Awesome. Number two on my list is Elephant by Tame Parlor, just because I couldn't get it out of my head after we talked about it on the last musical episode, um, I heard, first heard this song being advertised on the TV. They the advertised the, the album and I sort of heard snippets of it. And I thought, I really, really liked that. What was it? And I'd never catch what it is. And then I'd be waiting for the ad and I'd Google album covers to see if I could see something that kind of matched what it was. And eventually, um, I think after a few months, I finally heard it again. And I said to David, that's it. That's that song I've been looking for. And I quickly hunted it and downloaded the album, and as I said last, time, the rest of the album is fairly similar, so I was a little disappointed that there was nothing else sort of outstanding on the album, but I, I really enjoy this song, not just because it reminds me of the Doctor Who theme, but um, it's just it's just got a cool sort of beat, and, and the singer kind of sounds like John Lennon, I just really, really enjoy it every time I listen to it. And my number one on the list, I picked this one, because um, I was... Sort of sitting around home the other day because I've, I've been home ill and I'm um, sitting at home and I got a text message from my middle sister and she she texted me and went sister Madley's on the radio I went, oh that's so cool I have to put that on my list because when I was a teenager we were teenagers I shared my bedroom with the sister um, and when I say shared what we did was we actually we set up the furniture so that the wardrobes and the dresses were down the middle of the room so we essentially had a room each because we're such different people it's sort of six years apart that's different people and we sort of at that point in time weren't great friends we sort of tolerated each other to we put it mildly
0: this?
2: nadia okay We sort of we tolerated each other mildly her room was always in a total mess and mine was cleanish but this song sort of some high rotation on my cd player because the album came out around that time and um I'd jokingly call her Sister Madly because she'd always wake me up first thing in the morning. And we all know how much I love my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say she was Sister Madly waking me up from the dead. I you
1: heading down to get someone
2: Should have done what it had to do years ago Position is coming through All the people that you're standing on All the people that you're standing on Now you're heading down to be someone Someone that you've seen in a magazine Your premonition is coming true. Oh baby, you're not so green No baby, you're not so green No baby, you're not so Systematically Waking
1: up the dead on my
2: head. But this song—it's just—it's just a great song too. And uh, every time I've heard it live, it's never been played the same way twice. that They always go off. I mean, it's—it's it's fairly short on the album. I think it's two, not even three minutes long. But they—they they always play it longer live because they go off on tangents and sometimes I'll add in an extra verse. And it's just something that they could really play with and get into, and the audience gets into. And it's just a sort of a beat that carries you along, and it's a. It's a great, great song, and I'm happy to say that's my number one at least for today.
0: <laughs> awesome, thank you. Yeah, right, that's uh, last but certainly not least, Bo.
1: So my list is my list is weird because it's impossible to come up with five songs that I actually think are like my five favorite songs. I think I'm similar to Crystal in that these are the five songs today and what I've been listening to lately. But I don't, I don't necessarily think this would be representative if you were to ask me, even you know. A week from now, I probably would have a different top five list. Yeah. Um, but what I try to do is I try to pick five songs that were unique so that um, if anybody listening has never you know, heard of a certain genre, a certain band, or a certain song, that um, they're all distinctly different. So anyway, I'll just get into it. My number five, which is um, from a band that I mentioned uh, last time I did the show, um stretch armstrong which was the band that i told the story about my cd player being taken away from me on the school bus (laughs) um uh, they have a song called for the record which is probably the first song i ever heard by them um but it's a song and it's kind of funny that we were talking about the confederate flag and everything because it's a song about south carolina it even mentions the flag at one point um and um sort of the irony of it um but it's a uh it's it's an interesting song they're 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 from a like a hardcore punk rock not when i say hardcore i don't mean like the the metalcore you know thing that kind of spawned out of the early 2000s but like actual like you know spawned from probably bands like minor threat and things like that and uh it's it's a real south carolina you know hardcore sound but uh so for the record it's a good song it's got a good uh you know got a good you know feel good part at the end it's like uh, Kind of get you involved with the song. Number four is by a band called Law Dispute, which um, they are a band similar to um, Me Without You or like a, kind of like a punk rock band that does, but they they're really poetic and, and wordy. There's a song called King King Park or King's Park, and it's about a um, it's about a shooting that took place in a park, and uh, it was it's hard to pick one song by this band because All their songs are like, are stories or like narratives, and the guy, the way he does song lyrics, it's almost like he's just writing a story, and then is like, well, I'll figure out how to make it a song later, and then I mean, there's just so he fits so many words and sentences into into his lyrics, And and it 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 almost doesn't sound like a song, but it fits somehow, just the way the guy does it, like no other lead singer could do it, possibly. Law Dispute is a band that I listen to very infrequently. I just go through a kick where I'm just like, all right, I'm going to listen to Law Dispute for a week and then I won't touch them again for for months maybe. <laughs> um, but this song is on the list because it, the the culmination of the story, the ending of the story, not only the first time I heard it, many times when I hear this song, I get goosebumps just because of the way the way the story ends, the way the narrative ends, and also the way the lead singer kind of you know kind of delivers it. Definitely a heavily a heavy influence on the way I do vocals. Um, although I don't write as well as this guy does, that's, I I I think I'm similar vocally, but I don't write as well as this guy. But uh, so Lottis Butte, King Park, uh, you should check it out. Number three on my list is a, a band called Orbs. Orbs is a kind of like a it's one of those bands that's like a it's like a mega band. It's like members from other already popular bands. Um, it's the bass player from a band called Between the Baird and Me, which is Mm. a band I mentioned on the last episode also. Mm. Um, And it's the, um, the singer of this band is like the backup singer slash guitar player for a band called um, Fear Before the March of Flames, which um, Fear Fear Before has some really, really good um, open ambient songs that I could have put on this list, but I didn't think about them. But those are both two heavy bands, and this is this is a they're kind of prog or degent, but mixed with melodic rock. Um, they're 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 a really weird mix, um, and I play the music at work a lot. And a lot of if you're into rock or metal at all, you'll probably like it, just because it's got such a mix of different things. And the lead singer's not screaming, but yet yeah, it's not conventional either. So it's like uh, it, it's got a good balance for for most metalheads would find something they like in Orbs.
2: When you say you play it at work, do you play it in the office or out, out in the, on the floor?
1: Oh no, no! Like we have, like a, we've got like the area in the back where we get to actually like work on the computers. That's where I play it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Customers, ladies that come to where I work w- would definitely not like. To play. <laughs> I, I,
3: worked at, I worked at a department store for. A, Couple of years, and my proudest moment was getting to play a Pantera song um, <laughs> over the PA. I never got to do it again, but uh, "Floods" by Pantera it. went down a treat, as far as I was concerned. That's awesome. <laughs> uh,
1: that's pretty funny. Um, but uh, the song's called "Man of Science." It's by Orbs. It's the first song on their first EP, and it's another narrative song. It tells a story of this uh, of this guy that goes nuts and is on top of his house and, and is like preaching to his neighborhood. And the story is kind of told from the perspective of his family, and they're all embarrassed and and uh, you know trying to hide from him. It, it's it's a weird song that depicts like really unusual imagery. Um, but they're I mean they're a band that they're almost from outer space. I mean it's just <laughs> it's just unusual music, man. It's, all right, so that was number three, Man of Science. I'm on number two now, which I picked another band I picked last week, um, a band called Me Without You which um i mentioned last week is just it's uh it's a story where my wife wanted to take a picture of the guy that got all philosophical on us when we took pictures with him Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um me without you is a band that is is uh very uh solid state influenced which um if you were in the christian metal scene you know who solid state is which is which is kind of a weird thing to say christian metal but (laughs) There is this kind of this weird genre of music that kind of spun out of this record label called Solid State, a band called uh, Me Without You, which which again I discussed uh, last episode. Um, the song Messes of Men, which um, is the first song on uh, Oh Brother, Oh Sister, the album Oh Brother Oh Sister, and I think I, I kind of mentioned last week how like their first couple of CDs were way heavier than their last couple cds and they even are still making cds and they're like really tame um and it's just because that guy is just sort of in a different place uh in life and, and mentally than he was at that time and he's such a uh, you know he's such an artist and like gives everything into his music that even whenever his life changes like you, you hear the music change because of it um and i feel like this song messes of men is right in the middle of that change so i feel like it's the song that kind of Encapsulates uh, both the agony of the beginning of his career and sort of where he's at this, you know, somber place now. Um, and it's kind of a narrative. It, it's it definitely has a lot of imagery of a uh, of a crew on a um, on a ship. And uh, I don't know what the story is. Of this ship, <laughs> the lyrics are kind of weird, um, but it's really poetic. And, and you hear the lyrics and and the way they fit together. And it, it's really it's really cool sounding, but it's um, not as heavy as the as the as the last picks. So it's definitely there's definitely much calmer. Um, I want to cheat a little bit, and give you uh, give you some uh, some honorable mentions before I say number one. <laughs> what <laughs>
0: two point
3: five? <laughs> I, I
0: avoided that for the record. I avoided that. <laughs> well, well, I would have tugged in some Lady Gaga if we could do honorable mentions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there's a band. I'll make it quick. There's a band called Front Bottoms. Yeah, the front bottoms. There's this whole like uh, punk rock influenced uh, bluegrass movement that's going on right right now. Uh, Matt actually plays in a band that's kind of similar to that. Um, And there's a song called Au Revoir. Everybody should check that out. It's a cool song. And the song that kind of got me into uh, a lot of the bands I listen to now is by a band called Under Oath, which is a really popular band these days. But um, back then they weren't that popular. And the the song is When the Sun Sleeps. In, in hindsight, it's not the best song ever, but it was just one of those songs that, at that time, was like perfect for the state of where I was. Um, all right, and then number one, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, number one, which uh, this is the song that I said that me and my wife made out to at uh, uh, between the Barry to me concerts, mm-hmm. and um, it's called Mordecai, which is like their fav- their most famous song. It's funny that at the time that I heard Mordecai, I, I thought this is their best song. This band is as good as they'll ever be, and they're amazing. They'll they'll never get better than this. But but every album that's come out after that, I feel like they've gotten better. Like they're one of those bands that like really strives to to you know outdo themselves. And um, I think that's probably the most like Mordecai is probably the most popular song for anybody that knows that band. And and I think it kind of encapsulates that moment in time whenever between the bear and me was because they're a very different band now and and, and that whole that whole and, and, you know maybe it's nostalgic because i was right at the right age to experience it but at that time in my life and at the history of that band it just seems like that song kind of encapsulates that time period whenever um you could go see a band for eight dollars and they would, you know, put on an awesome show and, you know, then you would travel back home and, and sleep during class and school the next day. <laughs> um, and and for, for me, that song just kind of encapsulates that entire. And I have lots of fond memories of that because I saw that band a lot. And I have lots of that was always the song they would close on. So I have lots of fond memories of, of either A, making out with Becca or B. Jumping on somebody's face in, in the crowd, and uh,
2: just it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. <laughs> jumping on somebody's <laughs>
3: face. <laughs> was Why? that was, was that off the Colors CD or is that earlier than that one?
1: It's uh, the CD before Colors. It's yeah. uh, the Silent Circus. Yep. Yeah.
0: Well, you actually, you know
3: this band. I, I do know this band. I did give them a go because uh, I, um, a lot of people I know that it's it's like they're one of the new generation of bands coming through uh, with the, with a new sound and things like that. And I I got the Colors CD and there's something there's something called the Parallax. I got an EP. Parallax something? Or, yeah. Yeah, and I, I I didn't get into it. I I don't know if you know a band called The Red Chord? Oh,
1: yeah.
3: there. Yeah. I, I sort of... Like a band that... Like a contemporary, I really like that style a bit more. Between the bar and Me, I sort of... I couldn't quite get into it. I, I I tried a couple of times, and yeah, it didn't quite work for me. But I could see that kind of sound is, is becoming quite popular now, and there's a lot of bands sort of doing a lot of interesting song stuff sort of with, with that kind of palette. Yeah,
1: Between the bar and Me is definitely... I would say they're the first. They're not the first band to do you know prog metal, but like no. they're the probably the first to do that whole like oh we're going to fuse you know, like you know metal and jazz and 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 that's been done before even too. But it was like mm-hmm. like if you listen to this song, David, the first half of the song is pretty like brutal heavy metal, and then it just comes to a halt and goes into this like you know it. beautiful melody, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that like. Like between the Baron and me, probably wasn't the first, but they were one of the most influential bands that kind of did that. Where it was just like almost two songs in one. You almost have mm-hmm. like an A and a B, you know, to the song, and and, and they were kind of famous for that.
0: If it's not Ariana, I don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I want to.
1: Cool. That's Ariana why. That's why I wanted latte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's
0: why I wanted to book in with you guys. Just, that was that was very. It was enlightening. And I didn't know a single one of those. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> of course I did. I know them because now, because from episode one forty seven. But yeah, good stuff. Awesome. Well, that was uh, a lot of fun. It's, and uh, yeah, if we ever if we ever revisit this top five, it'll be completely different Zords. <laughs> it was fun. So let's finish up with uh, coming soon and uh, some some uh, plugging. Well, strangely enough, in Australia we get our film—we get our films on Thursday, but for some reason uh, this next film is actually coming out on the Wednesday. So in Australian cinemas, July first, we're getting Terminator: Genesis. Yay! It looks like a TV movie. It really does. <laughs> it looks bad. It doesn't look triad. terrible.
2: I don't care.
3: Crystal's very excited. So. I don't know I'm, why. I, I like, like the Arnie Media
2: stuff yeah. he's doing.
3: Yeah, That's pretty cool, but the movie looks a bit poop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that,
2: that's, I think that's what's making me excited about it. I, I, normally, I, I couldn't care two hoots about a Terminator movie, but. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're,
0: it's inexplicable. I don't know why you're so excited no, Why does this
3: John Connor look nothing like any of the other movie yeah. John Connors?
0: <laughs> or Sarah Connor? <laughs> Anyway, uh, so yeah, but then uh, then on the Thursday, when we ran to get new films, we were getting Amy, which is the documentary on Amy Winehouse. And uh, that's it for Australia, America.
1: Uh, We are also getting Terminator Genesis, and uh, we are also getting Amy. Um, We are also (laughs) getting Magic Mike XXL, Uh. which... I'm sure that title is not meant to make you think about penises. <laughs> and, and lastly, we're getting Jackie and Ryan, which I feel like is probably some kind of rom-com sequel to Jack Ryan. Not uh, sure.
0: Uh, <laughs> no doubt they'll have In Your Eyes playing in the, in the, in it somewhere. As they diffuse a terrorist bomb together and <laughs> find they have
3: more in common than they
0: thought. Uh, just uh, some quick plugs. This is uh, the, the weekend that we're recording this. Uh, Oz Comic Con Melbourne is uh, in full swings. Uh, we were there uh, yesterday, so thanks to Oz Comic Con Melbourne for um, allowing us to attend. And uh, as, as media is what I'm saying. <laughs> Not just they let us through the door. Uh, but also, uh, Manamoto is uh, doing uh, a couple of episodes based out there. So they're filming as we speak. Well, at least they better be. You know, they know what's good for them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so they're, uh, they, they, they were there all day yesterday, and uh, they'll be there all day again today, and uh, so they'll have uh, uh, 30 minutes of Oz Comic Con action. Uh, and uh, while we were there, um, Manamojo got interviewed by 42 Geek Street, and that video is, actually, is up on the 42 Geek Street Facebook page uh, at the moment. So has uh, uh, Talia and Black Sword from Manimojo being interviewed? For, so if for, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, so thanks, thanks a lot to 40 Geek Sheet for uh, for doing that. It was very, very cool. And that's it for one episode 149. It's a long one, but uh, we needed the extra time to con- contain the awesomeness that is
2: Pete.
0: <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> now, so that's it for that's it for me and the crew. Crystal, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> you will be back, You live here. <laughs> and Bo.
1: More like Magic David
0: XXL. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't, I'm don't. i not anywhere near as good looking as Channing Tatum. But I'm a better Lice. actor.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, thank you. on very, both counts. That's very nice of you. Oh, what? <laughs> and
3: Pete.
1: Fire up the
2: chainsaw! <laughs> Bye. Bye.
1: That was awesome.
2: You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.